And welcome to another week of Cowboy Season, the podcast brought to you by Matty Ice Media. I'm your host, Matty Ice. Uh, Cleve, how you doing, buddy? I'm good, man. I'm the uh, Today, I'm the ultimate Cowboys cowboy. I like I'm, it. Uh, when I um, read a thing in property management, and it may, it may actually bleed into other facets of the of the working class. It's called, if you want to have a, a bad day, I'm sorry, you, yeah, you want to have a bad day, plan it. And what I mean by that is that you got everything laid out. You get, I got up early, got a great workout in, uh, met you for a workout virtually, mm-hmm. and hopefully in a few more weeks, we can actually see each other live. Have everything planned out. Ran some errands, the honey to-do list situation, get back and realize I didn't pick up lunch or I didn't make lunch. So I made the quickest thing I could make, which is some vegan chicken breast, which I actually like, believe it or not. But um, yeah, so, you know, if you hear me chopping, guys, uh, sorry, but not sorry. Uh, I got to maintain uh, some type of sustenance. So Cowboys, I, mean, I think I think it's worth noting that just because the show is called Cowboy Season, just because we make fun of guys or gals that are cowboys, doesn't mean that Cleve and I don't embody that from time to time. I talked a couple weeks ago about ordering a meal that was so complicated and then it was called Cowboy Pie. It couldn't have been more of a fitting name. (laughs) And this week you're eating on air, which to your credit, you've said many times that you want the feel of every podcast that you're on to feel casual and you want to hear that of opening a beverage of some type some ice clinking (laughs) so what you're getting now is cleave chomping on a sandwich on zoom and unfortunately for the listeners you can't smell or see that so speaking of cowboys right we were talking offline tuesday i think and this happens all the time for us most of the stuff that we talk about in here comes from the in-depth conversations we have offline or with either ourselves or somebody else and this week we were talking boxing we were talking about how we don't feel any sort of uh gravity you know, feeling toward Canelo uh, Alvarez, the boxer. And I mentioned to you that I just don't think he has any personality. I think that's part of the crux of what his issue is, is that he just doesn't have that it factor. Like in boxing, you're a singular entity. You're your own brand. You have to sell yourself. Your skill only goes so far, I would say, in, in making you a known commodity, right? Like you need people to gravitate. You want people to buy tickets. Canelo just doesn't have it. He does sell tickets, and I think the national representation for him, like his Mexican heritage, obviously sells that because boxing is steeped in tradition in Mexico, right? So like he represents that whole country basically when it comes to the sport right now. So I think that that sells. But for us, it doesn't do much for us. And you mentioned a guy who used to drink a beer and smoke a cigarette after every fight, and you called him the ultimate heel. And I immediately thought to myself, that's a great topic because sports, I mean, life in general is filled with heels. Now for the the audience, that is really in like the wrestling vernacular and a heel is usually a bad guy or a bad girl, whatever. Uh, It's not that cut and dry these days, but to me, um, I think of it as a villain. So Cleve and I decided we wanted to get into the concept of a heel or villain in sports. And we wanted to kind of go through our list of what we feel are some of the more notable heels in sports. So Cleve, first of all, what do you consider a heel when it comes to like these these characters in sports? So basically, uh, when I think of a heel and my my interpretation of and even for when I was a little kid is that it's the it's the guy or the girl you want to root for, even though that they don't do everything right. Like they're not eating their vegetables they're not drinking their milk. They're not, you know, saying the right things. You know, they're borderline trying to irritate the other opponent. 
aggravate the situation, you know, put put a fight or a game in jeopardy by just doing something that is so egregious. You know, in football, if it's down to like the last couple of plays and then this person makes a boneheaded uh, mistake um, because they got their tensions, tensions are running high and someone's joined with them and then they lose their cool and now they cost their, their team down in distance. Now it's becoming an impossible situation to manage. Same as in a fight where someone does something so outrageous at presser, it clearly put the fight in jeopardy. Um, most notably, if anyone's old enough to remember um, a boxer named Sonny Liston, a uh, very intimidating boxer. Um, Sonny was, you know, Sonny was like the ultimate bad guy, I guess, in boxing back in the day. So he met Muhammad Ali and kind of got schooled a little bit. But Sonny once pulled a pistol on Muhammad Ali at a presser. It, it got out of control. Um, you know, the young Cassius Clay at the time got in Sonny's head and got in his face. And Sonny was, a, you know, a mob enforcer guy. Like he was a guy that was really, when he wasn't boxing, he working for the mob, I heard, like shaking guys down. And he pulled the pistol on him at presser. In today's in today's situation, that would actually stop a fight possibly. Or, you know, there might be charges levied after the fight per se. So I look at a heel to ask question as someone that you kind of like despise and you're disgusted by, but you kind of secretly root for them. Like, man, this this guy, you know, or this girl is, it's so, they're so fucked up, but I can get behind some of this, you know? That's what right. I think. Let me ask you, um, because I went, I did some research on this, you know, kind of looking at some lists to get some ideas. Like I had names in mind and I don't want to certainly uh, possibly spoil any for you, but like I've noticed that um, people that are on these lists are generally people that are very successful or win. But when I looked at them in terms of our conversation, I don't necessarily feel that they're heels just because they're good at. Like, I feel like you have to be good, but there has to be some something extra about you that makes you unlikable, that makes you like, I, I, I want to use a wrestling one and I don't want to necessarily, can I just ask, do you have any wrestlers on your list for later? Cause I don't want to ruin it. By, by wrestler, um, yeah. I mean, just I, in case. I, yeah, I have a. I, I do have one. Um, okay, all right. It's actually one of two, but it's they're 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 linked together basically. Okay, and you'll see why later on. All right. So I'm going to use a more recent wrestling reference because I'm pretty sure you won't have somebody who has wrestled in the last five years on your list. I think I'm safe there. I think I'm safe there. So uh, Roman Reigns, you've heard of him. He used to play football at Georgia Tech. Uh, Rock's cousin. Yeah. He right now. He right now is a heel. And right now in wrestling, he's playing a very well-defined heel where he is despicable. He's doing bad things. But for the longest time, they were trying to get him over or, you know, in with the crowd as a good guy. And to me, they weren't accepting him. And so him continually pushing this narrative of him being this good guy was heelish behavior. Like, I, you know what I mean? Like, that to me is like, or a guy that is so pure, like, um... A guy that is so, or acting so self-righteous that he thinks he's like this awesome person, but yet he's a total dick. Like that to me is a heel. And then I feel like there are people who are so good at what they do, but they also have this edge that makes you hate them even more. And it's like, I, it's like an anchorman. You remember, I think it was uh, Vince Vaughn. I don't like you, but God damn it, do I respect you? And it's yeah. like, and so I, I don't necessarily feel as if somebody who's really good, but has no personality traits that make them unlikable is considered a heel. I just think that they're really good and you're jealous that they don't play for whatever team it is that you root for. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you're you're in with that. All right. So um, I, I'm totally, totally stoked about this because I could have spent all day long coming up with the list and we could have just gone down rat-a-tat-tat, -tat, guys. But I wanted to make it like five because I want to have some 
some talk about this and back and forth because I'm going to personally pull some names from uh, yesteryear that you and I are old enough to remember, but we might have to expound for some of the younger audience. So why don't you go ahead and give me your first one? All right. So actually, first one is a contemporary. I mean, I'm sorry. Ooh. It's it's uh, it's it's Conor McGregor. And the reason I say Conor, Conor McGregor, I, I don't know if you had that on your list or not. Did you? Okay. Um, I say Conor because uh, I for one myself personally um i'm not a mma savant i do enjoy some matches but uh the overall brutality of it sometimes is a bit too much for me so i, I just kind of like straight straight in and straight out of the sport but i i picked connor because basically up until i saw this documentary on him um where like his humble beginnings um started and everything like that i just thought the guy was a total jerk off i thought the guy was totally um you know kind of like aloof i thought he was just brute I thought he was someone who uh, at all costs is going to do whatever. I thought he might have been racist. I thought he might have been misogynist. I thought he might have been homophobic. I don't, I mean, everything you could think of, uh, I thought this guy was. So I kind of got a, a glimpse at what he, what, like where he came from, how he came up in the ranks, what he had to do, the training and everything. And I, and I started to kind of get a little respect for it and then understand that like any entities, NFL, NBA, uh, WWE, um, you know, it's a it's a sport. It's a it's it's entertainment on some level. It's sometimes you got to do something to sell the tickets. You know, you got to compromise who you are. Uh, where people like me may may have thought different of you. Say, oh my God, you know, actually he's actually kind of all right. You know, I I don't agree with a lot of things that he's done in the past to sell tickets or to to get in the fighter's head per se. But uh, I can understand where he's coming from, and I can understand why people love to uh, hate him. So Connor is an interesting one because Connor is like most iconic fighters or any fight sport athlete where half the crowd showed up to see him win because they love him and half the crowd showed up to see him lose because they hate him. Mm -hmm. So depending on which camp you fall into, you look at him like, man, you know, I I, I like the guy, but I don't love, him, you know? So yes. Connor's my- This is a hot start to this list because Connor is a perfect example of what I was just talking about. Somebody who is the complete antithesis of Canelo. This guy knows how to sell a fight and he knows how to play a character to sell tickets for the fight. Like, is Con like we've heard stories about Conor McGregor, some, you know, extracurriculars with, uh, you know, in a bar and so forth. And and I just want to say we don't condone any of that behavior at all. It's right. it's part of the larger picture. But in terms of playing a character, like, is he exactly that person when he steps out of the spotlight? I don't think that he is. I don't think he has gotten lost in that character. But he is really playing a character to sell the fights. And one thing that is indisputable about that approach is he has absolutely moved the needle for UFC when he was in his prime and people wanted to see him. They paid to see him and that got fans in seats, eyes on pay-per-views and ultimately it made a lot of people a lot of money and so he knew exactly what he was doing. That is a perfect example of a heel and not because he's a shitty person necessarily across the board but he was playing a heel in his character for the work that he's doing and it was almost a flawless uh, heel yeah. to me. To me. Yeah. So I like that. This is good. This is a good start. So I have five, as I told you. The last three, I'm going to have some sound clips to go with, but the first two, I'm going to stick with uh, with not 
sound one. So uh, do you remember the former NBA player, Latrell Sprewell? Yes. Yes, right? Spree. So Spree was an excellent basketball player, right? He really, really was. However, Spree had a few things in his personal life and on the court too that made him heelish. The first one was uh, turning down, I think at the time, like a $50 million contract because it wasn't enough to feed his family. One of the best lines I've ever heard. The second one, he choked his own coach at a practice. I think that counts as a heel, don't you? Mm-hmm. Not only choked, but allegedly battered the guy. Yeah. And the, <laughs> the best part, too, is PJ Carlissimo, I still think, is an assistant coach somewhere. And I think he was even an NBA title winner as an assistant coach on, on some team. But that's what he's known for. Like, when somebody says PJ Carlissimo, I think, oh, that's the guy who got choked by Spree. And <laughs> I was a kid when that happened, and it sounded ridiculous. And now as a nearly 40-year-old man, it's even more ridiculous. And it's just, that that is such a heel. Like, people hated him. But he was good. He was really good. So here's the thing where I grew up. Everyone applauded that. Not because they thought PJ was a was a jerk off or a bad guy. They just looked at it as like, you know what? Speech from the hood, he's not taking no shit. And he's just, you know, obviously you would not want in your workplace when you're making millions of dollars for your brand to jeopardize that by assaulting someone because technically that's a that's an assault charge. You you choke someone, that's bodily harm. That can be ramped into a lot of problems for you on some level. But, you know, we thought, oh man, you know, that that was pretty real. You know, Spree, Spree didn't joke around, you know? That was, I mean, he choked the guy, like at, at practice, as Allen Iverson would say, practice, practice. So that's a hot start. I didn't know, I was like, oh, he definitely will remember him. But I saw that name and I just got giddy because I was like, oh, I totally remember that. Totally. And it's funny, it's funny you said that. So PJ is going to be remembered for being the guy that got choked. And Spree's not remembered for the guy choking him. Spree's remembered for the spinner rims that went on the mm-hmm. car and all the NBA NFL guys got. That's what Spree's remembered yeah, for. And- which means he wasn't paying his family because he was clearly buying uh, spinner rims for his car yeah. anyway. That's the ultimate. I can't. I can't. I can't feed a family on that. Fifty mil. <laughs> oh, wow. If somebody, if somebody showed up to my door right now with a with a duffel bag with fifty mil in it, that would be in the house before they could even say how much was in it. I'd be like, yeah, we got this. I, I think I can get some extra cheese on my Whopper, as Chris Rock <laughs> once famously said. So, all right, man, what's your next one? All right, so we, we talked we talked wrestling of yesteryear, with, and this was when the WWE was a WWF, um, and uh, this is more of a kind of deep-rooted in political uh, Cold War bias. Uh, and again, we may have some young listeners, so you may got you know you may have to do some um, some some research on this. What I'm going to talk about, but there were two wrestlers, um, the Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov, and Nikolai Volkov he wasn't even Russian. Then the guy Latvian. was Latvian. Latvian. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and uh, you know, with the with how they generate these characters, they made made him into somebody he wasn't. Um, he had to stay in character and kind of go through the stuff. And you know, during the Cold War, uh, for those uh, young listeners, the Cold War basically tensions between Russia and United States, where movies like Rocky Four was very highly um, um, laced with with ideals and us versus them, that type of thing. And I remember a match where I think the Sheik and, and Nikolai went up against like Hacksaw Jim, Jim Duggan, who was the ultimate badass with a two by four American flag on his back. I mean, and Sergeant Slaughter and stuff like that. So these guys were trying to make a living obviously in, in the WWF. And uh, there were documentaries about how much when they went places during this time, um, they're playing characters that they really weren't or characters with ideals that they didn't believe in, but they were 
they were constantly harassed and you know being a heel in in the terms of the WWE WWF it it, it was problematic where these guys couldn't go out to get a steak and just have a you know sit down have a beer have a steak without someone accosting them or you know cursing them out or telling them you know fuck you USA rules whatever so you know it 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 kind of puts them like you know at some point was this guy like you know what man Vince I don't know if I want to play this guy anymore can we rebrand or something and you kind of just get caught in it that they were heels sport entertainment uh genre but um they struggled with probably identity outside of you know this is not who I really am yeah for for those of you listening uh the Iron Sheik is one of the best Twitter follows out there so definitely hit him up with a follow because he calls everybody a jabroni he throws shade at Hulk Hogan every single chance that he gets and I am here for all of that smoke uh but you're you're right though the thing a thing that uh I think needs to be clarified about about why these are two heels here is because for the longest time in the 70s and 80s the WWF trafficked in what is now considered more stereotypical like representations of things that were going on in the real world so like the Iron Sheik himself was kind of almost a stereotypical rendition of what we thought of people from that from that region right like trafficking in the Cold War and and that's the thing is like you can look back on it now and we've talked about this like you know we can we could apply cancel culture to it but that's really what entertainment did back then it's what sold tickets the audience was not nearly as clued into how wrestling was made and they believed in these characters because they represented something that they could identify with in the real world like during the cold war people hated russia they could yeah. you know and like how and if, if you're vince how do you sell tickets well let's traffic in that let's traffic in the fact that people are going to come to see this guy get his ass kicked because that's what happens and that's the thing even today people the, the, what what makes wrestlers successful is there's always a good good guy and a good bad guy because people show up to see the bad guy get his yeah, get his comeuppance that's really what sells it that's why you watch like certain guys because you want to see them lose and wrestling has been trafficking in that for years i like the iron sheik though uh i have other like wrestlers that i would think of as heels too but uh i think that works out perfectly given your you know wh like how old you are because you definitely yeah. remember and hulk hogan beating iron sheik was a big yeah, deal back then because the title didn't change hands every month like some guys held like bruno san martino held the title for like 13 years or something like that so yeah. it was very rare when that happens i, I do like that one um all right so i'm actually gonna stick with the nba um for, for this one if that's all right uh mm -hmm. this one to me is a no-brainer i don't have a video clip of this guy but do you remember bill lambeer yes oh bad boy pissed that bad guy boy pistons, yeah. jesus that guy was such a dick um but famous the bad boy pistons were famous for just being overtly bullies and uh heelish like they were they were people considered the the warriors of this last decade as villains they are not in like they're villains because they were good but the bad boy pistons were legit villains because they throwed elbows like they were rough and there was a lot of bad blood between those 80 like they, they took out the 80 celtics the bird mikhail parish celtics uh and jordan and the bulls had to overcome that team in order to uh you know to, to really become you know to win an nba title and lambeer was the guy that everybody focused their hate on and especially when he had that plastic mask he looked like such a like he was such a villain and he the thing about him he loved it absolutely loved being that that hated guy and he would uh absolutely lead into it which is again what makes a good heel but he's somebody that i thought of yeah that's good that's Bill a good Lambeer. one yeah. I, I would pull up clips of him throwing elbows and just being a total asshole on court but uh anybody who if you if you 
don't know who he is, look him up and you'll see exactly why. Guys, guys in today's NBA, I hate to say it, I don't want to necessarily be hot take guy here, but today's NBA compared to that time, like those guys could not handle a guy like Bill Embiid today because he would wipe the floor with them. Yeah, I mean his his soul, his soul, his soul purpose his sole purpose on on that Pistons team was to be a a uh, a um, enforcer in the in the paint. You know, basketball for you know anyone that's in this generation now, a basketball just like football. It's different. Eighties basketball, eighties football, seventies basketball, seventies football is completely different game from what we see today because of rule changes and just how they try to package the whole thing as as best as they can. And Bill Ambeer, like literally, like you would see the guy put an elbow out as you're coming through the lane. Like if this is like gonna happen, he's gonna get fouled. You know, he's gonna he's gonna do something. I, I often think about, and I think I was talking to someone about this the other day about Will Chamberlain. Um, Me, I think. Yeah, one of the most impressive things about the 10 records that he holds that would never possibly be broken in the NBA, one of them is that in his entire career, the guy never fouled out of a game, ever. And is it imposing as he was and dominant as he was, he's arguably the best basketball player from a numbers and, and statistical nightmare. The guy never fouled out of a game. Of, the, of one of the things that he that he owns, he owns a record of, of being a guy that just was, was available. Like, I'm not gonna foul out. I'm gonna give my 50 points and that's it. So yeah, I, I think Bill Lambie, that's a really good one. So uh, sticking with way. that. But by the way, before you go, Will Chamberlain is also allegedly known for having a record of another type where he apparently slept with 20,000 women, which is just <laughs> the math on that is crazy that we're not going to dive into that. But I just want to throw that out there that he holds more than just a, a point record. Talk about talk about hitting the boards. <laughs> 20,000. I can't. I can't. Like, I, that's just like that's stressful. Just thinking about how to like coordinate to, all that. Yeah, he tried to say that it was, in, you know, he counted encounters as well. But still, even encounters and sex, that's a lot. You know, when guys are cracking the, the, the top 50, this guy, 20,000, unimaginable. So thinking with basketball, um, I would say Dennis Rodman. Who's yes, also he's on, at one point. Yeah. He's on, so, on my honor. He's on my honorable mentions list. Okay. Yeah. The worm. Um, what a great nickname. So with, with Dennis, it goes back to the same thing with the Connor thing was where um, when he was on the Pistons, he wasn't Dennis Rodman yet. He wasn't that guy. As far as rebounding and playing, and he was kind of the, that guy. But then it got amplified when he got to be himself. When he got with with Phil Jackson, it feels listen. I don't I don't care what you do, as long as you play good basketball here. And they left the you know the leash a little bit off of him. And you would his antics were over the top sometimes, like kicking the camera in in, in nuts. Um, but him diving for loose balls and second chance rebounds and just some of the stuff that he was that he was pivotal in those championship runs. But again, you love him or hate him. He was a guy that you just wanted to see what was he going to do tonight? You know, what was going to happen? Who, who is, he's dating Madonna. He's wearing a wedding dress to his to his book release. Like, it was just like, you couldn't get enough of him. And even though you didn't care much, you kind of like, what did he do? You know, one of those things. It's funny because uh, even in the Last Dance documentary, you know, they talked about it. And Dennis Rodman was such a virtuoso rebounder that they knew, all right, we have to put up with whatever some of these activities are going to be because we, we know that this guy's going to take us to a lot of plate. Like he could do things on the court that are immeasurable. Like that's one thing uh, that I think a lot of newer basketball fans are not going to appreciate. Like when they look back, we're so stat driven these days with an analytics and you know, advanced metrics and all that, which is a good thing in a way. But like somebody young who looks at Dennis Rodman's stats doesn't quite get 
how much of a difference maker he was on the court because the numbers don't tell the whole story. There was something about his presence. He was like, you could not get inside. You could not box him out. He was always on the boards, right? Cleaning up. Like that's a huge thing, especially when you're taking shots, offensive rebounds, like his offensive rebound numbers are insane. And offensive rebound numbers lead to second chance points, which generally kills the opposition. And so there was just something about him, but also I think this was at a time too in the 90s when we were we're just kind of starting to come around on some, we were still in an uncomfortable place on like flamboyance flamboyance was seen as gay still back then and also yeah. he just was kind of a crazy character that i hate to say it but probably a lot of white people could not understand and pop maybe a lot of black people too couldn't understand him but he just it, you knew he was doing it on purpose for shock value he's kind of like a marilyn manson type so to speak but he was so good that the teams that had him just had to live with it yeah i like and, and the worm i mean what a great like just a fantastic nickname all right so i'm gonna stray from basketball despite the fact that i have another basketball player on here and i'm just gonna play a clip and uh, you let me know if you know who this is when you have great coaches then after you have great coaches you get great players you have a great organization and you tell them one thing just win baby was not a runner-up not him but the organization yeah al davis so um i originally played the first clip i had it queued up and then uh it just uh never went through so i played the whole clip but al davis um so just win baby is he's he's famous for that so al davis is 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 passed on so obviously we're not trying to kick the dead while they're down here but uh al davis i feel like is a total heel because he sued the nfl sued the yeah. nfl uh which is just nuts and uh he also became so much more heelish after their success because obviously the raiders were very successful in the 70s uh you know super bowl titles with john madden which i feel like a lot of people forget that john madden was a super bowl caliber coach uh people knew him because of his announcing and all that but he was a super bowl caliber coach uh, anyway, Al Davis still embodied just win baby when the team sucked yeah. pretty heelish to me when he would have that kind of bravado and there's no results to back it up anymore. Well, well, it, well, so it, I'm glad you said it like that because what, what eventually happened was that you may come in here and kick our asses, but we're going to fight back. We, we may not win the game, but we're going to fight back. A la, everyone that went to the Raiders were like the bad boy Raiders. Like they were, they were doing cheap shots. I remember in, uh, excerpt from um from um from the snakes book uh the quarterback of the 70s uh we talked about in the in the locker room where you're coming off a heater he's been in bed all night the, half the team's been out strip clubbing or whatever and they got to play a game and there's like a fishbowl of all kinds of stuff that just take whatever you need to get on the field you know and management knew about this type of behavior but as long as you know we're putting butts in the seats and people are showing up because there's much to be said about a lot of a lot of teams. Like I'm a Jets fan. A lot of teams that the fandom shows up. Win or lose, fandom mm -hmm. shows up. Where stadiums packed, people are out, people are flying their colors. So yeah, that's a great one actually. You know, Al Davis and the Bad Boy Raiders. Um, even when they yeah, like he stuck it to the NFL. It, it, it's like when Tom Brady had to get the trophy from Goodell, and like you could see it killing him to like hand it over to him. It's like Al Davis taking it from Pete Rozelle. Like fuck you. Mm -hmm. I'm, that was that. that was easily one of the most famous uh sports feuds i think of all time was pete oh, rozelle yeah. and and al davis and you know say what you want um again al davis knew who he was he knew who his what his strengths were and he knew what his job was his job was to back his team and back his franchise that he was you know financially on the hook for uh it just i i thought that he became a heel 
especially later just because of that of that fact but uh you know lots of characters in the old days of the nfl too like even guys on my honorable mentions list that we're probably not going to get into are total heels but personalities were so much more crazy back then in my opinion i mean think about the phenomena of of where you had nwa wearing raiders shit a lot of people wearing raiders shit probably wasn't even football fans but it's just embodied like the tough tough guy stuff you know mm-hmm. la Zedo, bo jackson marcus allen you know just name it like these tim brown which you know tim brown was actually a nice guy but he, he played was. on the bad raiders they they play for an organization that you know the the black and silver that's what it was and their infamous black hole was just i've never seen a fandom in the nfl that is that like tight-knit where in a documentary you had guys soul's purpose since they were a fan of this team is to go out dressed in full regal to root for this team mm-hmm. you know insane great one great one black hole one. Mm-hmm. yeah all right so sticking with football um you may you may agree you may not uh, I picked Bill Romanowski. Oh, easy. Easy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not so, even on my list, too. I'm sad I didn't even think about that one. Wow. So, so, um, the, and, and again, I'm, I'm, I, uh, in the interest of to protect Matt, Matty Ice Media, I'm not, uh, this is, these are my opinions and, and, and I'm expressing them solely on my own behalf. Um, I think that the guy was probably rorted out of his mind or taking things that he probably wasn't supposed to take. But he tells an interesting thing about when he became Bill Romanowski or Wild Bill, as he's like to call him on the field. Uh, he missed the block and he missed a hit. And Ronnie Lott got in his face, grabbed him by the face mask and says, the next time you fucking miss a block or a hit like that, I'm going to fucking break your legs. And he took it as, you know, this guy, who's this guy to get in my face? But he respected Ronnie Lott. And he also felt like when I was the ultimate tough guy in the secondary, I'm a linebacker. I need to step up, you know? Mm-hmm. So he became this guy. But in all in all of Bill's antics, the one that disgusts me the most, I guess, is uh, two things. He once uh, spat on Shannon Sharp. Yep. I think he spat in his face. And then when he tackled him, he rolled up on the guy's arm. As the guy was going out of bounds, he's tackling him, and Shannon's arm's pinned, and he's rolling on his arm into the out of bounds. And I'm like, wow, like football has gotten a lot more more watchable because those type of plays where you knew a guy was trying to injure another guy willfully mm-hmm. it wasn't a fraternity of like hey you know what when the whistle blows we all go get a beer and shake hands it's a like, god I hate, I hate these guys and then he uh famously in a mini camp he smashed the face of a uh, of a player on the raiders I think the guy was a, a backup tight end but uh if you google it it's actually like it's it, he literally took a helmet and we talk about how um, how how the Mason Rudolph and Miles Garrett thing was was harsh. Uh, this guy's enti- entire orbital bone and jaw socket, everything was smashed up. And I think the guy ended up suing Bill and he got a substantial uh, award for it. But his career was ended. And again, this is a teammate. I played sports. You get in scrums. Things happen. People fight. Tensions run, especially in football. It's two days, dog days of August. Feel like shit. And you're hitting each other, not hitting anyone yet. And it happens. But to do that to a teammate, um, and then around the league, he's on every list of guys that are the dirtiest players to ever play the game. Uh, Bill Romanowski, to me, was an easy pick for this list. Interesting observation that you bring up. So I think you and I could argue that many things that would be considered offensive to like these players and so forth have come and gone like players say a lot of things to each other that doesn't end up in violence or whatever but spitting on somebody has always been 
an unforgivable move like in all sports no matter what it is like you spit on somebody and that is seen as the ultimate sign of disrespect would you agree of course wholeheartedly i mean it's it's uh i had a uh incident when my daughter was a uh, probably a preschooler where she was playing with a toy that some other kid wanted and you know kids are kids i i understand this to, to an extent but he spit on my daughter twice like spit on her spit in her face and spat on her hair and she, you know, she was visibly shaken by it. I was informed when I picked her up from school and I got so mad about it. I said, I want to talk to this, this little boy's parents. And it, it wasn't so much about the little boy doing this because kids are kids are kids. But I'm like, where where would he get this behavior? Like, where would he think this is cool? And I remember having a, a, the mom's not so much receptive, but the dad totally got where I was coming from. Um, but yeah, I, I think... You go to that, to that. I mean, jarring is jarring, and I guess there's levels of like what you're gonna say about someone or their their wife or their mom or whoever. Uh, you know, where there's certain things you don't go, where, where you don't go, and obviously you don't go into racial or or homophobic slurs or things of that nature. But obviously, you know, the nature of sports, I guess. But yeah, spitting on someone, that's kind of one of those like, whoa, 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 whoa. We're not gonna do that. Exactly. <laughs> It's just something I thought of when you mentioned how he spit on a guy. And it's like, yeah, that's never been something that's become accepted in trash talking. So uh, we're, we're what? We've each given three. just want to yeah. point out that um, I still have six left. So you've only crossed one off of my list that I did not give yet. So I think we're we're well, good here. We're good. Let me recap. I have I had Connor. Yes. I had, I had Nikolai and Iron Sheik, which were together. So that's two. Mm -hmm. yeah, I also fine. had Bill Romanowski. And then I had Dennis Rodman. So I've given you four. All right, so I'm about to give my fourth. So we're going back to basketball here. Uh, this one is somebody who I mentioned on PF the other day as a uh, you know a, a virtuoso coach, but a also a virtuoso asshole. So that is Bob Knight, and oh, I'm yeah. gonna play. I'm gonna play one of my favorite clips from him. There's so many to go through, but I'm gonna go oh, yeah. through this one. And this is one of his later years when he's at Texas Tech, but it's so good and so demeaning, but yet hysterical that I think it's worth your time. Just remember, when you're at a game and you see grass, it's the opposite side of the ball. But if you see hardwood out there, it's the other end of the floor. Try to help you young guys in this profession you've chosen. It's one or two steps above prostitution. Wow. <laughs> yes. You said that today? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and that there's so many. But um, And again, Bob Knight is an interesting case because... Uh, extremely successful, right? Very similar to Al Davis, very successful in the 70s, has an undefeated season and national championship on his record, um, but didn't win anything big as his career went on uh, and still had this sort of bravado and assholishness. They called him the general, which is actually a great nickname. Uh, we did find out that Bob Knight, uh, you know, is not really the greatest human being in, in some aspects and so forth. And I know that he's sick right now and I think he, he probably yeah. isn't going to live much longer, yeah. uh, but uh, just an extremely big asshole that you love to hate. But he was also a great, basketball coach at the same time and there's just there's a litany of quotes that you can have like you know he wants to be buried upside down so his critics can kiss his ass he threw a chair out on i think he even punted a basketball at one point so yeah. like ample examples but for some reason this one seems so timid in comparison but just be like when he says it's the two, one or two steps above prostitution it feel, i was like that's perfect that's because like most coaches don't like the media anyway so yeah. this just tells you how not much has changed these days, and I'm sure that uh, teams and coaches just love the fact that uh, uh, 
these uh, media guys are not allowed in the locker room because of COVID though. Wow. That, I mean, we're, this is actually such a great show. We're going, I mean, we're going shot for shot. If this was a, if this was a boxing match, this is round four. It's too close to call yet. And nobody could dispute any of the names that we've given, I don't think. I don't yeah. think we've really given anybody that was somebody who would say, no, no, like that doesn't count. Like, I'm sure most of the people that we named, like, I hate that guy. Yeah. <laughs> so and, anyway. And I, so I, and again, for, for the listeners, I am the only, the elder statesman here. So a lot of the names I'm going to bring probably you guys aren't familiar with. And you might have to do a little bit of on your Google machine, use your interface <laughs> to figure it out. Um, so my guy, and I'm going shot for shot with, with this. This is, this is a, this is a shot across the bow to give him a cut to, when he go back to the corner. John McEnroe. Uh, on my, um, uh, on my uh, honorable mentions list. Yeah. John McEnroe. Total in, asshole. In the bodied, the asshole guy oh of his time. I mean, some of this guy's court antics were, were legendary. Um, and it's, it, it kind of brings me to a serious note. So when Serena had an outburst a few years ago, and they were hearkening it as the one of the worst displays of sportsmanship they've ever seen. I'm like, can we roll tape on John McEnroe, please? Because some of that shit was just so crazy. Like he's 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 yelling out ball boys. He's yelling at uh, officials. He's you know flipping the racket. He's smashing a racket. He's storming off. You know this guy embodied where it is when you had Agassi and all these other players that were getting tons of endorsements and stuff. He was wondering, well, wh what about me? And I'm like, well, you got to tone some of that shit down, John. That's your little, your little hot coming in hot, as the kids would say now. But he, he, um, I remember him like watching tennis because my dad was a, you know, tennis player and he watched tennis and he was like, man, like this guy, good player, but he's just such a piece of shit human being. I wonder if the reason why John McEnroe stands out so much is because tennis, very similar to golf holds it has a very high opinion of itself holds yeah. itself in very high esteem where there are um there are standards that are set they're almost like unwritten rules like you're not supposed to stray from this very prim and proper and sort of like um almost ma like manufactured uh you know like look of yourself and john McEnroe being a competitor being uh -huh. that overt talking to judges that way i mean good yeah. lord like not <laughs> talking to them like they're the scum of the earth, not giving a crap that they're a human being, just trying to do their best work. Um, and yeah, I agree. And I think the reason why he stands out even more is because the sport is so prim and proper that there's not that many heels. And even, and those people stand out. But the thing about Serena that I don't get is I feel like she's unfairly painted that way because she's a woman. And yeah. like the, the the dudes, like Tom Brady gets a pass be, for being competitive and yelling at players and stuff like that. Well, he's just a winner. But I'm like, why does Serena not get the same pass? Like she's on that, she's on that GOAT level. I think I'm, I've said that before. She's on that GOAT yeah. level. And I agree with you. Like, I don't think it's fair, but uh, you know, McEnroe was easy to hate and he just came off so entitled. So, you know, and uh, yes, very good. Um, but again, he knew again that what he was and he leaned into it because again tennis is a singular like it's an individual sport you're selling yourself and you have yeah. to win but you know get eyes on the game and that's what he did i mean people showed up because they hated him yeah one of the things i can remember as a, as a kid you know my dad used to go you know one go to the tennis club and say want to want to 
you know, tag along. And I'm like, no, because I, I always felt like I'm going to run into like a thousand um, John McEnroe's there. I'm like, there's going to be a lot of people here that I'm, I'm not going to like, because I just kind of make, because he was such a big face in the sport. I just associated like tennis is full of assholes. And then my dad's spinning to me, oh no, there was Arthur Ashe and there's these guys and this guy. So I was like, oh, okay. But I just saw him as the poster boy for the sport. And I unfairly so to paint this one guy as the entire sport, but he was such a, you know, the antics and the bullshit. And you had a great point. Like certain sports, you know, like like baseball has unwritten rules, right? Football too, or football too, you know, but we know things happen in these sports where it's frowned upon or, you know, you don't hit a guy, you know, stuff like that to walk them, you know, like just certain things you don't do. And and, and if you do it, you're going, I'm going to charge the mound. It's going to happen. So, yeah, uh, John McEnroe is my guy. So, yeah, we're shot for shot here. Who you got next? Right. So mine, my last one is both a heel in uh, reality and a heel in character. And I'm going to play the video clip uh, for you. And I think you're going to know exactly who this is. All right. That'd be Vince McMahon. Yes, I was going to say Vince. Vince McMahon. So the interesting part about Vince is on this list, he is the ultimate heel in many ways. So if you're a wrestling fan like me for a long time, you know that Vince McMahon effectively killed the territories. Uh, As WWF started to get larger, take over more of the national landscape, all of those territories, which is how wrestling was built back then. I mean, if you did you ever see the Andre the Giant documentary that was on HBO? Oh, yeah. Sad stuff, man. But... Andre the Giant was like the territories were sectioned off to where you didn't work for all of them. It's not the same way that it is now where it's a national you know thing. People had heard of Andre the Giant, but they'd never seen him. So Vince would lend him to like Memphis, would lend him to the you know, the West. And these people would be like, oh my God, Andre the Giant's coming to town. I'm finally going to get to see this guy. And the irony about that is that Vince effectively killed it by essentially buying up all the real estate. So there's no competition in wrestling these days, at least not on the same level as WWE now. And you could say it's to the detriment of the sport as a whole or, you know, the entertainment as a whole, because there's not really many other gigs in town that are allowing you to uh, go somewhere else. Like during the peak Monday Night Wars, as they called them, when WCW was at its peak with the NWO, when Hogan was there and so forth, you had somewhere else to go. And they petered out because they couldn't manage the business. Vince bought them up and then we had nothing else. And so now you're kind of stuck with WWE or a lot of these other independent programs which don't have the same production, they don't have the same resources, and so you're not going to get the pop and circumstance that you would with WWE. But he also ended up becoming the best heel character almost of all time by accident. There's a famous line that he had, and I I decided to play this one instead of the, the other one because this one, if you know Vince McMahon, you've heard this. This is like his line, but the Montreal screw job is like one of the biggest, most famous stories in wrestling history, and it's when Bret Hart was going to leave the company or uh, to go to WCW. He was the WWF title holder at the time. He had a match with Shawn Michaels and basically they had decided that this was his last match and they were going to make it like uh, what they call a schmaz. Like people were going to come down. It was going to be a disqualification. Then he would sort of give up the belt and that was the way to let him go out as the champion, so to speak. Well, everybody but Brett knew that they were going to do something different and the referee was in on it. They fixed the end of the the fight and uh, Shawn Michaels ended up winning the title and it's become this most famous thing. But Vince ended up becoming his own character, Mr. McMahon, because he did a like a uh, interview with Jr. and he said, "Brett screwed Brett. I have no sympathy whatsoever for Brett." And that's what started it. And then 
obviously Stone Cold Steve Austin comes around. They have what is considered the best feud in wrestling history, and it, it is what it is now. So he became a heel in many ways. And I know, you know, you've seen him. He said, you know, steroids were rampant in wrestling, the Chris Benoit thing. You know, he was very much out in front of saying, like, it's not my fault. It's not our fault. Like, they weren't doing testing or anything. And so I consider him a heel in the sense that he's, you know, there's just so many things about him that are unlikable, but you can't deny that he has business prowess to the point that he created a global empire out of something as silly as quote unquote fake wrestling <laughs> shit that's that's a great one and you know like i said we going shot for shot when when you hear my my guy you're gonna you know it's 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 apparent that we we have great chemistry on the show and obviously in our in our friendship kind of harkening a little bit on vince he, he, you talked about the andre the giant documentary and why i said it was so sad that was the thing that came to me is because the guy's life uh wasn't the greatest but it wasn't shit either but um you know for someone who 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 was the name of the sport until Hulk Hogan and the Iron Sheik that passed on that torch, Andre was the guy. And if yep. he didn't, and a lot of guys from that era said that if he didn't like you, he let it be known. Like he was very rough with you in the ring, slap you around a little bit. I mean, and who's gonna throw around a seven foot giant, five hundred pound guy? Who's gonna, you know, who's gonna tell him whatever? You know, when the, the, yeah, you're right. That's the aspect of wrestling. When people call it fake, I called it fake and put it in quotes because I don't believe that it's fake. Because yes, things are choreographed. The outcomes are predetermined and all that but it's real violence in that people get hurt but to your point uh back in the day if you made a mistake in the ring you got what was called a receipt and i know that we use that in colloquial terms in, in real life but uh like if you did a move that was dangerous you'd get it back basically yeah. and that was what andre did if he didn't like you he works what they call stiff and can you imagine getting chops to the chest from a seven foot five? Good Lord. Like, so, and even Hogan talked about how, you know, at WrestleMania three, supposedly not knowing what the finish was and not knowing if Andre was going to go into business for himself. And he's supposed to slam this guy who weighs like 500 or 600 pounds. And the relative unknown of working with a guy who is significantly larger than you when Hulk Hogan is not small in yeah. comparison, you know, comparison to us is scary, but the sad part about Andre to me is that medical science has gotten so much better that uh, the big show had the same thing that Andre the Giant had and was able to have the surgery and live a long life. He's in his 50s now. Andre never had a chance and he drank so much because he was in pain all the time. Yeah. And very sad commentary at, at the end, but he did a lot for the business and seemed to be a uh, you know hurting man, but a nice man. So to, definitely very sad about that. Go ahead. Yeah. So yeah. So I, I, I sentiment that um, when it comes to Vince being probably one of the biggest heels in sports entertainment across the board, um, I often I often think of the Dana White's honorable mention um, and the like, where the sport or the entertainment value is built literally on the backs of these guys, and these guys aren't allowed to profit for themselves mainly you know do a movie do do some inside endorsements or or you know whatever it is um it, it it says something about how you sign yourself away because you're a entity or a commodity to a machine and basically if when they're done with you they're done with you like you're put out to pasture like you know taken out and back and like all right thank you for all the good years and thank uh, you for your service yeah. yep yeah. So piggybacking on Vince McMahon, this was a name that I came across that I wanted to ask your opinion on. Do you consider Don King a heel? Yes. Uh, in, in the same regards as as, uh, as Vince McMahon when it comes to um, how boxing uh, regulations. So for those 
uh, that don't know. So Matt and I are very, um, we're, we're big boxing fans. Like we, we know the sport is not relatively as big as it used to be. And it's still kind of, still kind of slowly dying a little bit um, of, of, of late. But uh, two names, when, when I think of Don King, um, I think of, you know, what happened with Mike Tyson, but I don't put that on squarely on Don's shoulders because Mike's people should have been smart enough to say, let's put some protections in our contracts for these guys. Don King did stuff notorious, like, so when, when you go to camp, right, for a fight, you get what they call it, it's called the camp bonus. And what the camp bonus is, is that, you know, Matt's going to train up in Big Bear, California, right? I'm like, Matt, how many people are coming up with you? I got, you know, I, I got my cut man, I got two trainers, I got my conditioning guy, and I got a chef coming up. So, okay, you got five guys and plus yourself. All right, so we're gonna make accommodations for that. And then we'll we'll make accommodations for your meals. Like, what do you think you're gonna need for the next six to eight weeks up there? And you give them a number and that's your camp bonus, right? He used to make these guys figure that out for themselves. So you're, you're taking an entourage up to Big Bear. And again, it's not up to Don to do this, you know, like this is, you know, you're a fighter, you're, you know, this is your craft. You would obviously invest in yourself, but that he would give them a bill. Like, so when their purse comes in, I'm deducting 200 grand for the fight, for the fight camp to spent up at Big Bear and it's shit like that. But outside of him and him and his money problems with a lot of the guys, most going to be Mike Tyson, he was a very staunch um, opponent of what, uh, and you'd be surprised at this. So Bernard Hopkins championed, champion, when I say championed, the cause for boxers to have a pension mm -hmm. and also insurance, right? And it was met with hostility because the sport, the, these promoters, Don King being one of the biggest, Tom him and Bob Arum, they were about like, well, these guys are getting paid a mint to do this. They could take care of themselves when it comes to that, right? But for every Mayweather, there's a guy, I think of a guy, his, his name was Beethoven Scotland. This guy died for six grand in the ring. $6,000 was what he got paid for a fight. And he was killed in this fight, right? That's, that six grand had to be whacked up with his, with his promoter, with his trainer, and whoever else was in that camp. So he might have died for like 1,500 bucks in, in a fight when Mayweather's making 600 million mm -hmm. for, for a fight against Pacquiao. So, I, yeah, I would definitely say Don King is, is, is a heel. So my last guy for the newest time is George Steinbrenner. He was on my list too. That's that's um, ultimate asshole boss kind of out out front when it comes to stuff. Um, wasn't above paying guys to come over whatever they wanted, as long as they could produce a championship. He's gonna do whatever, but it came with rules. It came with you can't have facial hair. You can't wear your hair longer than your you know blow your earlobe or whatever it was. I think he, his his thing was. Um, he had a lot of contributions to some sketchy stuff. I mm -hmm. mean. You, you call yourself the boss, you know? <laughs> it's a moniker that I'm like, okay, like we know you're the boss, but you gotta, you know, you gotta get. I liken him to the guy that has to have the nameplate on his desk. When someone tells you, you're gonna go and meet Mr. Wason, and then you come in, you know who I am, and I have this big thing in front of my, I'm like, really? You, you need, like, do you need that? You need for people to know who the fuck you are? Or your name's on the door? Yeah. Like you're, oh, I assume you're Mr. Such and Such, you know? I always say that. Um, but yes, George Steinbrenner was, was was my guy. And I guess he also falls into the camp um, against the Don Kings and because he was willing to pay. Mm -hmm. I, I can I, I can have a payroll that's that's rivaling entire conferences because I got six guys on a payroll that's 
that's paid to do this, you know? So George is, George is my, uh, my fifth and final guy. I think it was just a great list. I mean, we could have really probably got some more, you know, my honorable mentions was the, um, was the Yankees, um, mm -hmm. with, in, you know, George Steinbrenner's care, um, because they were just the brash kind of like, we win championships, fuck you, that type of thing, New York City attitude stuff. So, you know, I, I always think of that as like, you know, can franchises and, and, and sports towns and, and, and regions be heels? You know, like it, it, it all goes hand in hand. You know, sometimes people, people see people in B-dubs and like this guy's wearing a, a Baltimore Ravens jersey and this guy's wearing a Steelers jersey, it must be war. Mm -hmm. And they might be relatives. They might be brother-in-laws. They might be fucking cousins. But you, you, you root for who you root for. And it kind of gets dispersed on you that, well, their ideals, what they do is the thing. I remember when when uh, when uh, Big Ben got caught up in that rape situation, I thought the entire Steelers were scumbags. I'm like, no one called them out on this? You know? I'm like, I, like, I'm like how can you root for this team? You know? Mm -hmm. And again, I have to catch myself like, Okay, there's someone rooting for that team that doesn't condone this and is probably embarrassed by it, or, or they're probably like, "That's fucked up, big man." Like that—that's—that's that's really wrong. So I can't just say, "Okay," because that guy's wearing his jersey, he's a piece of shit, you know? Because of how I feel in, in a rival, you and I are are in the same conference, and and mm -hmm. it's right. and I have to watch you guys go to numerous, numerous over a decade to championship games, and I'm like. But but do I think everyone that wears a Patriots jersey is a scumbag? No, I you know maybe the fucking uh, Dolphins. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> maybe that. Well, we got three minutes left, so I got two more names, and then I want to do a Cowboy of the Week because I don't want to go a yeah. week without that. So the other yeah. names I had: Pete Rose uh, for for obvious reasons. But the thing I think of is when he took out the catcher in the All Star game. So there's that. Yeah. 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 And B Bobby Clark, who uh, famously played for the Broad Street Bullies back in the 70s uh, for the Flyers, intentionally broke a guy's ankle during a hockey game. So how about that? Right. All right. So uh, fun times there. But I think we got one more piece of business to take care of. <laughs> what you got? All right. So actually, um, and this is surprising for me, uh, my cowboy is uh, Bill Gates. Um, Ooh. Bill is my guy. I, I don't know if anyone, anyone who knows me knows me, knows that I love Bill Gates. Um, now, I guess love is as like, I like who, I, I like what he embodies and what his company um, kind of embodies when it comes to certain things, especially like the philanthropy. Like he's, it, it's been noted that this guy gives up a lot and he actually gave up a lot of his company to go overseas to fight pandemics and things that we probably, you know, don't even know that they probably um, thwarted. But Bill's, Bill's my choice this week because of two things. It's rumored that he was seeking a divorce since 2019, not him, but his wife. And I can understand his statement when Bill said, hey, you know what? Sometimes you grow apart and, you know, love is love, but, you know, you realize you get to a point where you guys can remain friends, but go, you know, go separate ways. That happens, that's life, that, you know, you, it happens. You know, I'm friends with a lot of ex-girlfriends that, that just didn't work out. But then it, it surfaced that it stems from his palling around with with Epstein, with <laughs> with the guy that was a that was uh, accused of a lot of um, sex trafficking minors and, and and a lot of vile things. Jeffrey Epstein and and Bill were palling around. Bill chalks it up as a couple of business meetings because mm -hmm. you know Jeffrey was a very wealthy guy. 
and maybe there was some stuff that they could have gotten into. But the stuff about him before it became public to us for public consumption, it was it was floating around in circles like, hey, this guy has an island full of shit going on. And Melinda was not happy with Bill kind of being chummy with this guy. And that kind of brought up a lot of a lot of things. And it's it's reporting that that's why she was like, well, I'm, I'm you know, I'm done can't do this. So Bill's my cowboy of the week because his statement gave off the, the company line of like, you know what, we're working through some things and we got to a, a, a impasse where it can't be saved and we're done. But then it's like, well, mention that, hey, you know what, she feels indifferent about the company that I keep. So Bill's my cowboy. I also love when celebrities are like, we uh, request privacy at this time. Not really how it works. Uh, you're, you're a celebrity, so it is what it is. All right. My cowboy of the week is Bob Baffert, who is the famous uh, horse trainer. So he is his. Yeah. Hold on. This is good. Yeah. So his his horse won the Kentucky Derby recently, uh, broke a record, and then the horse was disqualified or suspended for, for, uh, you know, doping, I guess you want to call it that. Something like that. It's a performance enhancing substance, whatever the equivalent is in the horse world. So the interesting part, the reason why he's the cowboy is not for that. People cheat all the time. But he went on Fox News to talk about his woes, and he said that his horse, not him, his horse was basically a victim of cancel culture. And I was like, I am not somebody who necessarily feels that cancel culture is always, you know, the reason, you know, always appropriate. But this is not cancel culture. You cheated and you got caught. And I love that he, instead of saying him, it's the horse that's the victim. And then the next day, press release comes out and says, oh, actually, it turns out we did, uh, you know, accidentally give him something. So uh, our bad. So he, uh, yeah, I just thought that I was like, cancel culture from, uh, come on. Like, that's just not even how it works. How does that work if a horse unbeknowingly is given something like the horse doesn't condone and says, oh, what is that you juicing me up with? That's like you going out to do something. I'm like, here's a shot of this, Matt. It's going to make you feel great. The horse is just like, I'm going to run a race. And they Mm -hmm. stick with this horse gets penalized for it. Yeah, Fuck. and it's apparently it was some kind of an ointment that had some, you know, substance in it that's banned or whatever. But I generally feel that horse racing shouldn't be a thing anymore. I just feel as if it's it's inhumanely cruel, given the fact that I work the job and I know how horses are treated when they be. You know, you talked about Dana White and these guys getting rid of fighters. Uh, yeah. These horses get euthanized or yeah. they get sent to other countries for food. And yeah. it's, it's really... It doesn't embody what I feel like we should be into in this country. And for this guy who is a, you know, old white billionaire, basically, for him to come out and say that cancel culture, which is trying to help society as a whole in identifying problematic representations and so forth, that, that you're just totally missing the point. And it makes you look like such a jerk off because you don't actually get it. You cheated and you had an unfair advantage. And the thing about it is you yourself didn't cheat. You made your damn horse cheat. And the horse has nothing to do with any of this. They go out and do this because you've told them and trained them to do this. They don't want to be doing that. And I just think the whole thing all around sucks. Yeah, I I, I agree. That, That actually trumps my guy for Cowboy of the Week. So yeah, fuck that guy. I just love too that he went on Fox News to talk about it. Like, I mean, really? And then the memo the next day, he's not willing to come out and say, oops, my bad. He puts it out in writing but the day before he's willing to go on zoom and say cancel culture canceled his fucking horse i mean it's like whatever <laughs> just insane all right man that was good stuff 
who is your heel if you're listening definitely let us know check out the maddie ice media webpage maddieicemedia.com you can find all the other shows that we produce always good content fire content we've been getting a lot of hits lately talking about you actually buddy i've had a few messages say that the latest episode of the manual was some hot stuff some random ig accounts messaging me about it so definitely go and check that out message us maddie ice media 21 is the instagram handle cowboy season podcast is ours message us who are your favorite heels or unfavorite heels if you want good stuff we could talk about this for hours but i definitely appreciate you taking the time and i look forward to next week peace cowboy season is exclusively owned by maddie ice and cleave and is brought to you by maddie ice media